Yeah, I woke up this morning and just felt like absolute dirt. So I've uh, I've mustered all my strength for this recording. <laughs> well, you sent me a very sexy gym selfie yesterday. So <laughs> clearly. Well, that- that, that, see behind the scenes that was actually taken the day before yesterday i went and just did deadlift for uh 45 minutes and i think the strain on my central nervous system has uh made me sick so this uh, is what we, what we do in the pursuit of uh, physical fitness you've got sick guns and um sick lungs <laughs> yeah pretty much i just uh, I, i'm getting myself more a uh, canvas to get more tattoos so that's a good plan. <laughs> um, if you're listening in, you're very welcome to Beneath the Skin. It's the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. And you might have heard a third voice in the background there. We are joined by another guest. We are joined by Maya Saluk uh, Jacobson. Did I say that correctly? Not at all, but it's okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can try. I can try. I can try. I'm used With to the- it. With his Irish accent, he can't pr- pronounce my name properly, so we have to forgive him on yours. <laughs> That's it's disgr- all fine. That's disgraceful. Uh, to be fair, over living here in the UK, no one can actually say my name properly or spell it properly either, so <laughs> I, I, I understand the pain. I understand the pain. But, Matt, do you want to introduce our lovely guest? Well, I'd like to, her to introduce herself, but I will just say, so um, Maya is an um, anthropologist, a tattoo artist, um, uh, basically a, an, an artist uh, in, in textiles, a wonderful friend, an incredibly uh, an activist, like just amazing, really. And I, it's such an honor um, to get you on the podcast, uh, Maya, because... I have just, as you know, just endless respect for the work that you've been doing and continue to do and and all of the things that you're, you know, I think really more than almost anyone else at the moment in terms of tattoo history, like you are, you're, you're really changing the knowledge that um, people have really very quickly with almost, almost single-handedly, not quite, but, but almost single-handedly. So I've learned so much from you over the over the years that I've I've been um, honoured enough to know you, and and uh, I'm really excited to be able to give you give you a platform, you know, and and, and let others hear hear what you have to say because I think um, yeah, it's as I said, you're you're just doing stuff that um, is long overdue to be done, and you're working in extraordinarily complicated circumstances in all kinds of ways. So I'm I'm just thrilled to have you have you on. So yeah, welcome. Thank you. I'm blushing. I want to meet. The- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that, is that a fair summary of, of what you do? Like, do you want to just start off by telling us, yeah, like who you are and, and what you do and how you came to be doing what you're doing now, all the, all the amazing things that you're doing? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I can start with pronouncing my name, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> my name is Maya Sialuk Jakobsen, and I am from Northwest Greenland. Uh, my father is Danish, uh, and the Danes are the people who colonized my mother's land. So my upbringing has been, you know, bicultural. And um, but but I grew up in a in a very rural area in a small town where there was hunting and fishing, very traditional area, and um, so that gave me like a, a solid foundation in in the Greenlandic Inuit culture and uh, this 
anchorage that I have in the culture, I use side-by-side uh, side with the academic work. So I kind of use my anchorage, my language, all of that to decipher the, the, the anthropology that I, that I read. And um, it's, it's easy to just uh, see it as, you know, filled with mistakes. But what it is really filled with is biases. And I need to kind of filter those out in order to sit with the raw material of who we were pre-contact and that's that's kind of that's basically the red thread of my of all the work that I do uh, I'm a trained tattooer I've been tattooing for 22 years and I spent a good 10 years in the western commercial uh, tattoo business industry tattoo family as it, my good friend Leosifer he said the other day it, it was a family now it is uh, an industry and he, he's quite right because when, when I was still busy I, I very much felt like I was in a in a family unit really like just a global one and um so traveling uh, as a tattooer, I, I, I met all these people. I, I always talk about all the indigenous people that I met because they were significant for me starting to do the work that I do now. But I do not want to uh, underestimate the impact on my work that it has had to work with people like Lior Sefer or Benjamin Moss I worked with, uh, getting tattooed by Robert Hernandez and, and Jack Mosher and all these people that kind of shaped me as a tattooer. And, and the tattoo craft, if you will, has been key to my work as, as a tattoo historian or, or uh, someone who does research in tattoo history. And, and we had like, I think, Matt, you were there. We had like this... Um, like a conference, an online conference at some point, and, and people were discussing whether or not it helps being tattooed when you are studying tattoo history. And I was like, guys. <laughs> we had a little we had a little sidebar like <laughs> chat thread going on that day. I didn't yeah. know I I didn't know you'd been tattooed by Jack Mosher. He he did my first ever tattoos. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I had, you know, I I got like I saw him in in Doncaster, but but he was busy. I was at the tattoo convention there, and but we were both going to the Stockholm Ink Bash like a month later or whatever, and and I got tattooed by him there, and and I was like I was so impressed with him. I I love also his his books, you know, and like. Uh, so he he tattooed like this big yellow peony on me, and and my friends afterwards were like, "You could kind of have tattooed that yourself." <laughs> it was very much in the style that I was tattooing back then, and, but I love it. It's beautiful, and uh, it was it was impressive to to meet him and his work ethic, and you know. So as you were as you were traveling around, and as you were kind of growing up in this you know, more kind of familiar to, to most people listening kind of tattoo universe. How did you find that in relation to the tattoo heritage that you uh, presumably had like learned a bit about just from, from, from conversations? Um, how, how were you if, when you were younger and when you were starting out, like tallying those two things together? Uh, I kind of wasn't. Um, yeah. 
because I I started tattooing with uh, with a guy in Amsterdam, out a little bit outside Amsterdam, and he was doing black work. He was doing all this uh, Bonio and you know Maori stuff, and it it, it did not sit quite well with me. It I was the nineties. Yeah, I was like yeah. you know that time where every white person in in Europe, you know. They had these kind of tribals. It was kind of the the the, the Liu Sulueta tribal was fading out and becoming something only bodybuilders would have, and and it, it it became tacky or whatever. And and then they needed the real stuff, and and that would be like Borneo tattoos, all the Borneo roses and whatnot. And but to me, it was kind of weird to see this pale German ginger guy tattooing this on other pale people you know and it, it didn't sit quite well with me but i did not have the vocabulary yet i did not have the insight also he was my teacher i'm not gonna you know uh, i had respect for him as such and and he was a, a an amazing technician and i i learned so much from that period and um, but at some point we got this Maori guy as a guest artist who also was tattooing white people with Maori stuff, and I was like, oh, I guess I guess it's kind of okay then. What do I know, you know? But um, as I was traveling, people would ask me like, why aren't you doing Inuit tattooing? And 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 all I was thinking was, I'm traveling in Europe, Australia, United States, wherever I would go. And uh, who the heck am I going to make these lines in the face on? It, it just felt like maybe they can get Maori, but they cannot get female Inuit tattoos as facial tattoos. Were people and, asking you for that? Were customers coming? And when they found out that you had Greenlandic heritage, you were Greenlandic yourself, that you were you being asked because i because i guess in a in a very strange way and the reasons i guess we'll talk about the the the, the traditions of the arctic which were so effaced you know through colonial violence and colonial memory in a way that didn't happen quite to the same degree with the stuff in the pacific so i guess it's it's not uppermost in people's mind or certainly wasn't until i think fairly recently so did, did you have people coming and asking you for it even well, there's only really one person who asked for me for it, and and it was Hank Schiffmacher, and uh, I was like, no, dude, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but you know, the thing is, like for the past like ten years or so, the the inner tattooing have had like a, a rise. And what other people, like outsiders, non Inuit people, are kind of like attracted to our finger tattoos they're very instagram delicious you know but our facial tattoos are difficult uh they they are difficult in the sense that they are stepping outside of the western sense of beauty and the standards that we have around beauty it's even difficult for us you know i have never made a full chin of 22 lines and uh, so it it is just a difficult tattoo to like, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 uh, funnily enough, it's uh, you mentioned they're quite trendy. I'm kind of a bit more clued in on a lot of the current trends in tattooing, particularly among younger you're people. you're so young. Uh, you're so young, Thomas. Yeah, I am. I am. My hairline <laughs> mightn't say it, but I am. Um, and... <laughs> 
particularly like finger tattooing that might be Inuit inspired or just has a vaguely kind of, oh, this is uh, old world tattooing that is quite popular. But it's something that you mentioned that I kind of want to explore a little bit that you mentioned that kind of Polynesian, Bornean, general call it Pacific style tattooing. You mentioned bodybuilders and obviously I'm quite a fan of the gym and I feel like there is a certain influence of masculinity in that, in that particularly in the West, they will look at like literally yesterday I saw a guy with a still healing sleeve, like full sleeve that he must've gotten done quite recently of inspired by the rocks tattoos. And I think maybe oh, that, that that's something that because Inuit tattooing is much more related to femininity that in the, cultural consciousness it's not at the forefront in the same way as bodybuilders getting polynesian sleeves to be warriors and be masculine is yeah it, it that's that's very true there's there's something there in it. and and uh our our sleeves if you will if we can call it that <laughs> uh, again the build-up of it and the, the construction of the tattoo and, and the content of the tattoo is not super attractive to like a bodybuilder. Uh, I do tattoo it on men sometimes, but they're Inuit men. And, and usually it's because they want to carry the tattoos for their mothers, for their grandmothers, etc. So, uh, so I do do it sometimes on men, but, but they are, you know, being told this is female and the way that they benefit the man, uh, you know, because it doesn't benefit us women directly, but we have, we wear them to help the men with the hunting. Uh, and it's just very strange to put that on a man, you know, but in the same time, we have now a lot of women that are hunting and they get it too. And, you know, so, so the, the whole social framework has changed. And so we try to be a little flexible on it and, and just, but, but I just make sure that they know. I also make sure that when I post it on my Instagram, that I write about it, like, so this is contemporary or this is, and this is, you know, this guy has female tattoos or this girl might have a, a, a male tattoo, although we don't have a lot of that. We do have a bit, uh, but because right now we have this whole gender thing going on, which is also, it has arrived in indigenous land, you guys. And uh, so, <laughs> so, so there are girls out there who would like to signal to their fellow Inuit that they are feeling or they 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 see themselves as as a masculine figure or maybe non-binary whatever and they get both you know we we mix it up and i just make sure always to to make a note of it because i see and and now i'm maybe i'm jumping a little bit i'm sorry but now it's in my head so i have to say it um cuz i see that the pattern base that we have, which is, you know, 4,000 years old and, and exceptionally spiritual. And, and one of the few things in our culture that has survived migration from, you know, Siberia across North America into Greenland it, without changing. And then we get Instagram. 
and we get <laughs> individualism, you know, me, me, and mine, and, and I have it because I feel this way, and never because I want to benefit the men in my village, you know, it's not like that anymore. So with this comes the uh, desire to individualize them where the individual was like non-existent in 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 our uh, original practice so when you want to individualize the tattoos that has been there for 4000 years and you just redraw them a bit you just you just uh, you know uh, put the amulets in that you find the most pretty maybe you even change them up you know you you redraw or invent new ones we are really talking about a reinvention of the practice and not a revival of the practice yet it goes under like traditional inner tattooing and they are massively aggressive on you lot not taking yeah, I I saw um I I saw someone on my, my partner forwarded me someone on Instagram who is a Inuit woman who'd recently had her young Inuit woman who'd recently had her face tattooed, and very genuine. I think she was she sort of did a little you know video thing, but some of the things she was saying about, for example, why Inuit tattoo tattoo traditions were um you know have become so difficult to. Put, to make sense of was just kind of incorrect basically here on a historical level i don't i don't blame her at all because i think one of the fascinating things that of your work Maya, is just how little information there has been maybe that maybe that's also saved in you it's having a bit from the commercialization that befell Samoan hawaiian you know new zealand styles just until you and a few other people in the last sort of 15 or so years have been really putting the work in and trying to tell these stories and piece together what you can from oral histories, anthropological records and other things. It just wasn't out there for people to even take in a way. Right. And I, I, I'm sort of fascinated by what you're saying there about how you're, you're, you're bringing back this knowledge into a, into a very interesting gap. Yeah. I mean, and the, the reinvention part, I, I, I'm, I'm very ambivalent about it. Because I love the original practice so much. I love the religion so much. I, I love what it does to, to us as a collective people. And I think there are some gifts in there that we could benefit from. Also, you know, post-colonial stuff and pain and trauma, whatnot, all these bad words, you know. And there's a lot of healing to get from you know, not just the tattooing, also the drum dancing, also all the other things that we do, like throat singing. And 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 when you, I oh, I would like to say lazily, <laughs> just reinvent, despite the fact that we are the most researched people on earth, maybe, and there are so many photographs of us. So the tattoos are out there to see. It's not hard. But if you are Googling tattoos instead of Googling original tattoos or whatever, you and I, Matt, we may be experts at finding tattoos without the word tattoo in it. And, you know, and, and, and but they keep, uh, you know, the mass of, of Inuit tattoos online has the, the new stuff has drowned the old stuff and they just don't look at the archives. And I can understand that people 
other people in, in North America, like some Canadian First Nations or, or, or North American uh, indigenous peoples too, uh, that have lost basically all visual reference. I understand that they have to reinvent their tattooing if they absolutely must tattoo which they seem to absolutely must. And, and, and then uh, uh, Inuit people doing the same thing, you know, just reinventing, although we already have like a massive amount of pictures, you can see the tattoos, they're right there. You cannot find out what they mean. You cannot find out what the purpose was that easy, but you can see them. You have visual reference. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's even worse than that. And this is why I... When I'm, I, <clears throat> earlier in the year or uh, last year, I emailed you because I was like, Maya, I'm trying to make sense of this stuff. And not it's not even that it's the information's not out there. It's like the information that is out there is just doesn't make any doesn't make any doesn't sense. Make any sense. <laughs> no. It doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, like. I don't know. Can you can you talk a bit about? Well, maybe before you tell us a bit more about the specific history, like how you got from this this kind of curiosity about your own her tattoo heritage to actually throwing yourself into it as an anthropologist and really learning about the techniques like how did how did that sort of curiosity in the tattoo shop go become this amazing sort of deep anthropological study that you've been doing over the past decade or so yeah yeah you you're not going to be impressed with my story here it is <laughs> <laughs> it is a uh, uh, maybe a very typical thing for tattooers. I, I wore out my joints, um, and I needed surgery in my shoulder uh, after using the tattoo machines. And, you know, insisting on using coil machines, and you know, for example, and uh, <laughs> so I completely wrecked my shoulder, and I needed surgery. This inner tattooing, you know, after meeting a bunch of Maori people and 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 Tongan people, Samoan people, whatnot, who were all working in in the in the world of Western tattooing. Um, but we're working with their uh, heritage somehow, as far as I could tell, right? Uh, some people would even do tapping and some would, you know, do it by machine. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, I, I could do that, right? You know, and uh, at some point when I had the, to have this surgery, I, I was told that I had six months off uh, to, to uh, regain mobility and strength. and. Um, after six months, you know, I did not, I was not okay yet. And I kept not being okay. And I had more and more time. And I started reading about, uh, I started out with reading about the mummies from Kilekito, which is not far from where I come from. And you have these amazingly beautiful preserved mummies. I call them the mummies. And they just, they're tattooed and their clothing is, is amazing. There's like, there's so much to learn from them. So I started out by reading that book and, and it just gave me questions, you know, how that happens when you start understanding things. You're like, yeah, but what about? And I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper and I never let go of it. I was still hoping to go back to machine tattooing, though. I was also thinking, how can I incorporate this? You know, will I ever get out of the pink flowers and the peonies and the and, and and can I can I start doing this? 
would people accept it? You know, when you have a portfolio, you're kind of held captive by it somehow. You know? And um, but I never got back to the machines. And after a while, uh, I don't know how much time. 18 months, two years, whatever. Uh, I finally, I caved in. I I wrote all over social media. I'm done as a tattooer. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you, everybody. Much appreciation. And I love you all. And thank you for waiting for me. I just can't. Um, and then I curled up in fetus position and cried for my mom for 24 hours. And then I went back to the tattoo studio because. I didn't know what else to do. And there was Buff Conkers, a British tattooer who does hand poking. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was sitting there like he's quite a big man, or he was a big man and tattooed all yeah, he was black. he was he's a big he's a big old dude. Right? And he's yeah. he's like so black tattooed by Sedley Head folk, you know. And um I started talking to him and he was like, why don't you try this? I said, no, what if I fall in love with it and I can't, then I'll <laughs> one more time, I can't do this. Of course, he was there for a week and of course I tried it. And uh, That is, just as an aside, that is the most Maya C. L. Luke Jacobson thing I've ever heard you say. What if I fall in love with it? Like, as a, that is such a good summary of your character, Maya, of like... <laughs> This feels too powerful and too important, and I'm scared of how much I'm going to love it. I, I I was so scared that that I would be consumed with desire to go back to work, and 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 then it would just not be possible because of my arm. And luckily, you know, not that Buff was insisting; he was just there, and and he showed me how to do the tools, and and I did that. I started. And and I was like, this is amazing. You know, the, the difference was like sewing by hand. I work, like you said, a lot with textiles. I sew in paper and whatnot. And, and, and the difference between that and sewing on a machine, you know, you're more hands on. I could feel the skin. I could like the technical aspect of it was very attractive to me. And and I'm still doing that and and other things, but but the machines I have not touched them since. Do I miss them every day? <laughs> <laughs> and I have them in my my girls. I call them my girls. I have them in my workroom. They're sitting there. I never use them. I sometimes take them out and you know check they're okay. Yeah, just give them a little hello, girls. <laughs> <laughs> there are some awesome machines in there. I have like a, I have a cane. I have a Robert Hernandez machine. I have Sestaferi machines, you know. And I'm like, oh. I think Sestaferi might listen to the podcast because he he um after the Doug episode followed followed us on Instagram. So Seth might even be listening. Love so he'll be. Machine, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, sexy. So so essentially, it was sort of. You know, without being too grand about it, the sort of universe put you in the right place at the right time, right? Like you're, you're. I think it's interesting how, as a historian, I can look back over history and look at the people who I end up looking in, whose lives I end up reading about in detail, and it, it, it's sort of like, in some senses, it's like, well, if no one else was going to do this, you had to do it. You know, like you're, you're the person who had that knowledge, had that ability, had the skills in terms of language, had the curiosity. 
and 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 you found yourself with that particular kind of happenstance serendipitous circumstance which made you you know it pushed gave you a little nudge in the right direction it's so strange isn't it i mean it really took a greenlandic tattooer and i was the only trained am i still the only trained inuit tattooer there was for the longest i still might be actually there's not many of you i'm sure yeah you'd know better than i would but and and they they're not big on apprenticeships they just do it you know and and that's a whole different discussion that i spent a lot of time on you know hello this is a craft there's like safety uh, health and safety you know anyways uh bless them but it's true it's true. Uh, it, it's what it took. Someone with, with language and culture and also tattoo culture. I call it my third culture because that is kind of where I, can, can we call it, uh, where I grew up. And and also where I've, I did find some solace there because being Danish and Greenlandic obviously is complicated. Uh you know, and and there was like all these identity issues, and 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 you know, I'm um, I'm a fairly light skinned, light eyed, uh, Greenlandic person, and uh, although the blonde really is fake, <laughs> but but it was it was difficult to be to have this duality in me, like it is for everybody that I'm tattooing now. It's it's the it's the main. A uh, subject that we're talking about is identity, you know, and um, but I left. I left Denmark. I left Greenland, and I became a tattooer. I picked my own skin color, and and I I I became part of a family that had a a language, a terminology, and whatnot that had nothing to do. A lot of people would say that I was from Iceland, and I wouldn't correct them. <laughs> and I just. I just needed that break from it. And then when I went back in, I was so much stronger and I had that distance and I was able to read all that material where we are described as not human, as dirty, as primitive, as, you know. literal devils, right? Like Frobish... Frobisher's crew talked about taking an Inuit woman's boots off in the 1570s to check she didn't have cloven hooves. Like there was a sort of belief that that you know um, people in in Canada, Inuit people in Canada were lit- literally devils or or not yeah not human as you said. And and in our religion we have like Sister Maona who is the, the 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 white people call her the mother of the sea, but really she is the spirit of the sea, the spirit of the ocean, the temper and the generosity of the ocean, and uh, uh, Hensel, who's our colonizer, the first guy, you know, uh, this priest, uh, he called her the, I don't know, it's called the great grandmother of the devil, who, who lives, you know in the water and yeah and th- she was like the biggest for us but also the biggest helping spirit we have which is donasso or donasso uh donasso has become a cuss word so when we are cu- may i cuss can yeah, i absolutely oh, of course, yes go ahead so, so what we will go tom's is mom like- won't like it tom tom's mom sent him a message and complained about his salty language but um sorry tom's mom <laughs> sorry helen 
Tom's mother, I apologize before <laughs> him. This is for education. <laughs> so what we say is like uh, Satan, Satan, Tiavuluk, the devil, Donarsuk. So Satan, devil, biggest helping spirit there is. And he just was turned into this really bad, you know. So so that is that is the the reality of our self uh, view, you know. Uh, had you been bad. had you been raised by your mother in 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 Inuit religion as well, or was that something you also had to kind of learn about when you were older? You know, in the in the Greenlandic uh, community, especially uh, up where I come from, there is still a lot of the spirituality, but it is called superstition. But we we are it also very Christian, uh, so it's kind of just paralleling. And uh, but but there's a lot of things like we firmly believe, for instance, in Kvitut, which is like uh, these guys who are leaving the community and they go being individuals in nature. If they don't die, if they survive out there in in the world's harshest environment. They get supernatural and we fear them to such an extent that when people have seen Kvittut, the police will go out and check. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of this uh, folklore is, is, is still very much uh, part of us. So, yes, I have been raised in it. Also, it is um, a big part of our language. You know, we believe, for instance, that Sila, which is like the universe or everything, is a very cosmological uh, religion. So Sila, which is also weather and breath, and is also uh, the thing that gives you intelligence and awareness. So when someone loses their mind, we say Sila has no Sila. It's still part of our language, you know. And, and when the weather is good, we pray Sila. Ah, see ya. See Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As, and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting, niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid. Don't miss out on the chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. Everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo. We all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. That's why Saniderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Saniderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. 
Sanoderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Sanoderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Sanoderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Sanoderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Sanoderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Sanoderm products or for more information. Me being from Ireland, and as Matt has heard me complain about a lot on this show, the like the confluence of colonization when it encounters a culture that exists kind of outside of a Western European context, like in Ireland, for those who don't know, uh, pretty much we lost almost all of our language, traditional culture, a lot of our customs, and it was only through the rediscovery of it since independence that we've kind of gotten a bit of a back but this is something that i want to really ask you about is what was greenlandic culture and particularly like the tattooing culture like during colonial times and how not just when it first happened but in recent kind of history and how have you kind of come back from that well like so many places where where the christian missionaries show up it took around 50 years to knock it down. So in uh, 1781, uh, 83, maybe, uh, this guy, Jose Glenn, he he wrote that this practice of of embroidering your face is almost gone because the Greenlandic women would like to land themselves a Danish man who do not feel desire in a embroidered chin you know and and the colonization started in 1721 so so you know 50 years and and it was already uh, very much going down uh, almost gone uh, so so you can imagine like 250 years of not tattooing it was laying way outside our uh, memory um so when I started doing the research, the very first thing I did was trying to figure out where is it in the minds of people, of my people. And I just asked, you know, I asked about some stitches, specific stitches, and I asked about the tattooing directly. So I had indirect questions and direct questions. And the direct questions, they would say like, yeah, we don't do that. West Greenlanders are sophisticated, okay? (laughs) So we don't do such things. The East Greenlanders and the Polar people did that, and also the Canadians. But we're dynamic. We don't do that. Okay. Internalized colonizer mindset. 100%. 100%. But what did go on was that in East Greenland, uh, the East Greenlandic nature and the 
uh, the the ice that comes down from from the North Pole in the summer is so dense it's almost impossible to travel there. So it took until like uh, 1890s, I believe, before someone actually made it there who was not Inuk. Uh, of course, um, there was contact green amongst Greenlanders and, and they would go to these Asivik and whatnot, these big summer meetings where you would, you know, fight out your your disagreements and, and marry off your daughters and, and, and trade songs and trade tools and, and material and whatnot and, and have a good time together, you know. And um, so when the first Danish guy arrived there, uh, they were still tattooing, obviously. And, and uh, they also had like a completely uh, old lifestyle. But he also found you know, there was a pair of earrings made out of like a a wine. Uh, what is it in English? A cork. cork. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, "How the heck? How did?" And there was also a coconut shell. So <laughs> they were very mystified by this. But apparently, there were so many shipwrecks that would be they they were just picking up stuff from shipwrecks, basically. Anyways, so they went up there. Nobody went. Back there until 1905 and six, William Telpitzer was there. He's an amazing, amazing anthropologist. And every time I am reading something that is upsetting me, like if you wash me and have the same color as a Portuguese or some shit like that, uh, I always go back to William Telpitzer. He's a linguist. He, he, he's poetic, and he's in love with the culture. So, so it's very positive and. But he, he went back in 1905 and 6, and that's when they just christened the heck out of the people there. And the last, uh, the shamans were, were baptized as well. But there was a more southern tribe. Uh, the the Sila Amasilik is where William Telpitzer would go. And the more southern tribes, they have had hunger and famine and, and very, very poor. Uh, living circumstances for about 50 years. And they started migrating down south to the south of Greenland. And in 1900, there was a Danish doctor in, in the colony of Julianehoop, which is Kautok today. Uh, he got news that there was 38 people that had arrived from the east, uh, quite far from where he was, but he went in a rowing boat I, I'm going to send you this story, Matt, because it's amazing. His paper is amazing. And so he travels there. It's dramatic. And they visit people on the way. And, and they he does medical examinations on these uh, East Greenlanders, Dunumir, and finds tattoos. And he finds important enough to describe the tattoos, which he does like in a medical language. So it's kind of like... On the lateral side of the bicep, et cetera, there are 14 dots. You know, he was so I could I could just sit with a with a Latin dictionary and a and a piece of paper and draw these tattoos. And that's that fascinating because so much although as you said, so much of the of the tattooing had been described, it was mainly the facial tattooing and the hand tattooing that was visible in the clothing that people are wearing in very cold climate. So even to have those descriptions of 
of tattoos on the body is very, very, very unusual. I mean, that's fascinating. It's so unusual. And it, it was, you know, there's even a woman who has like the only tattoos I've ever found a description of on the back, which is we don't tattoo on the back, but they are sitting just, you know, exactly where I had my surgery. <laughs> so I bet you she had a bad shoulder. <laughs> so there's like this medicinal aspect to some of the uh, of some of the tattoos. But anyways, he also writes that he he didn't ask these women to take off their very long boots. Our boots are very long, Thomas. And uh, so we didn't. He didn't. Uh, you know, his purity. <laughs> I'm sure they wouldn't have mind. But but in, in his his way of thinking, you could not ask a woman this. So so I don't know about their legs, but I have their arms, and and they're beautiful. And the the youngest uh, person was twelve, around twelve years old, and the oldest was sixty something. There was a few guys in there, and there was like. A majority of women, as expectable, you know. But as I was drawing these tattoos on this piece of paper, I was like, I've seen this before. I've seen these tattoos before. Very far away from East Greenland. I've seen them on a mummy in on St. Lawrence Island in Alaska. And then I started going like, what about these migrations? What about the religion? What phase are we in here? And, you know, it all turned into like, you only have these tattoos? In the outer points of Inuit Nunat, all the people in the central part, nobody uses these tattoos. It was, my mind was blown, you know. Well, that's fascinating. And I, I want to ask as well, because you mentioned that they, they served a community function as well. Can you explain that the role that the tattooing played in the community as well? Yes. Um, there is, of course, the tribal factor that you can see on how they are constructed and what the face is like. Uh, you can tell what clan or tribe that people are from. Uh, however, it's a very strict system of building up. The construction of the tattoos is super strict, all the way back to, to the Dorset culture and, 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 and in our culture, the Tulu culture. Um, nobody is going out of that even even the saint lawrence mummy and the east greenlanders it's still within that framework but within that framework you have around 15 amulets and those amulets are connected to the type of hunting that you're doing it's like the landscape the ice the fjords the tundra is deciding which amulets are used because you're not going to have hunting amulets for for ice hole seal hunting, what we call breathing hole hunting, uh, where, where you catch the seal through its breathing hole in the ice. You're not going to have those in areas where the sea doesn't freeze over, for instance. You know, so it's quite logical, really. But what is going on, really, is that spiritually, the woman is both more dangerous, but also closer to the spirits because she bleeds and she gives birth. Death is the third, uh, the third matter, and the man is, you know, pretty much big part of killing, and he will also eventually die, obviously. And um, so, when you are in a natural habitat 
where the only means of survival is killing. Then every day when you're doing the killing, you're eating this game, you have to work around these taboos that you have broken so the spirits won't revenge. And that is actually what the tattoos are about. First of all, they give the guy, the the man, uh, good joints for paddling, for throwing uh, the harpoon and whatnot. But it also attracts the animals and it also repairs broken taboos. And the hand tattoos for Sister Ma'una, the ocean spirit, are very much to be reminded also. You you should live the inner the, the Inuit way, which is basically the religion that doesn't have a name in our language because it just was the reality, you know. So Inuit, the, doing it the way of the ancestors, and and sometimes you wonder what 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 practical function does this have? Well, the elders will say, "We're here. We survived, and you're here, so it works," you know. And so so it's. It, Simply put, but incredibly complex system of taboos and amulets and a constant negotiation with the spirit world to attract the good and keep the bad revenge. And this is one of the things that I I asked you to help me understand because those stories, when they're kind of filtered through that colonial missionary encounters, like right the way back to the late 16th century, it gets described the whole cosmology, not just the tattoos, as as kind of ancestor worship or gods. Um, and you you explained to me exactly what you've just explained there that, that actually this isn't this isn't a worship. This isn't a kind of um, this isn't a, a relationship that is describable in those terms that maybe a Christian religion religious cosmology would be explained and so uh, again yeah i don't know if you'd like to say more about that because i think that was for me the hardest thing to get my head around when i was reading these uh 17th 18th century sources it was sort of describing it in this way that 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 was very put through a lens of someone who understood the world in a very christian way right which is a very limited way right you know although they won i'll give them that you know but but it's a very limited way and and the difference between the Christianity and and the the Inuit spirituality is that in Christianity there's only one guy who can know it all. Even the first two people tried, and and <laughs> and, and he kicked them out of the house, you know. <laughs> but in our religion, it is your duty to try and understand this much, and 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 always expand your world and and your perception your understanding you know and but it doesn't go through worship of a god or the gods the deities or whatever we don't have that we just have like the sun and the moon and we have the ocean and those are in charge of us surviving because they control the game so we're just basically trying to keep them guys happy because they, they they get cranky and there's famine. It's 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 quite simple, but the way to keep them happy is very complex. You know that's where all the taboos and the amulet system comes in. And but it is difficult to understand a system that is not first of all male based. You know the all the other. Uh, scientists always talk about Inuit culture based on the man and his amazing capacity to hunt and survive out there in the in the ice. And but but 
completely kind of neglecting the, the female role and thus neglecting the religion because she is the keeper you know the keeper of them when 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 you explained that to me it just all made it all make so much sense as you said it's quite logical right in some senses um when you explain it in in you know when you, when you get rid of your pre preconceptions or when I, you know about how the universe functions and kind of acknowledge the reality of the of, of this particular way of thinking about things it, all of the things um that were otherwise confusing made so much sense so I don't know if you'd be able to to talk about the the, the you've mentioned the, the sun and the moon there, and also the the, the sea woman, um, which are both very important in the in the you know in the pr- practical kind of um, tattoo cultures um, uh, across across uh, Inuit um, uh, people. So, could you would you mind talking about those particular kind of you know those really iconic the hand and the face in relation to those myths? I'd love to. Um... First of all, I would like to start out with saying I hear people saying stuff like like they are they are doing research in outer space. There there's like out there in the universe, and I'm like, you guys, we're in it. We're part of it. Every cell in our body is reacting to other planets and stars. Okay, uh, and 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 that is very much in the awareness of Inuit that we are part of that universe. We're not strangers to it. It it rocks our world. You know, the moon, he pulls back the water every day so you can find seaweed and not only eat meat. It's delicious. You know, it's kind of him to do that. Uh, You know, in such a way that we are so aware of being part of the cosmological order and not sitting outside of it. That's the first thing. So, the, the 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 story of the facial tattoos uh, is that you have the the moon and the sun were humans like the ocean spirit as well were just humans like the rest of us but this is back in the first time the first state of the world before it changed by some magical powerful words uh, to the world that we know today but back then. Uh, so the the moon was in love with his sister and was taking her by force in the darkness. And uh, she wanted to know who this guy was who was doing this. So she placed soot on his shoulder from her lamp. And the next day, uh, she yelled out loud that there is a man in the house who has soot on his shoulder. Of course, incest is taboo. So when she saw that it was her brother, she, she was filled with shame and she grabbed some moss from her lamp, some burning moss, and she fled into the sky and became the sun. And uh, Aninar, her brother, uh, he did the same. He did not touch the fire, though. That's a female thing. He put it on his uh, sommelier, the one that scrapes ice on his kayak. So he kind of grabbed the moss with that thing and, and ran after her. But he's strong. He, he big, strong legs and, and his leap was strong. And so, so the fire went out and all the sparkles became all our dogs and all the, all the stars. And, and, and he, he's just glowing. He's no longer on fire. So he the moon and, and he's following his sister around the sky. And also in his virility, in love with all females 
and 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 we want his affection because he's in charge of reproduction of animals and humans and so we have these masks like now i jump to objects and artifacts and uh, so we have these artifacts where these two uh, planet beings are are uh, depicted and she all always have this frown and that's what we are getting tattooed we have the, the frown you know and so we are attractive to ending up so we can reproduce and be in charge like we are in all the things also in food preparation and working with the game we have the the, the responsibility as women for the birth death and rebirth right so we rebirth the and the ancestors we take spirits from the spirit world through our body and give birth to humans but we need ending out's help also handy if your guy is out there hunting for three months and and and, <laughs> and you'll become pregnant while he's gone and uh, <laughs> So the facial tattoos are connected to the cosmology, to the universe, and our hand tattoos are from the Sesuma uh, Amna is the name in my dialect from Northwest Greenland, but she has very many names: Imapua, Nuliayuk, Setna, Sanna. and all of them means the one from the deep or the ocean woman or you know and and she was just a little girl when she's thrown in the water she she there are very many different um uh legends and and stories of how she became her creational myth is different from different places just like the tattoos it is the landscape it is the life that forms our myths and and in our part of of the Inuit world, she's a little orphan. And and what what they all have in common though is that her fingers are, are cut off when she's trying to save her life by clinging to the to the women's boat. And so her joints are cut off and and then there is a variation on how many fingers are mentioned in the myth or is it the whole hand? Is it only the finger joints or and in West Greenland, it is only the three middle fingers. She, it, it, it says very specifically she has the pinky and the thumb left. So we tattoo the three middle fingers, and those lines are then symbolic of what she has gone through. What is very important for us is that these are humans that had a task in our community, and they were ripped away from this, like, quite aggressively really you know quite brutal and and can never participate and can never be useful in in the community and and that is the worst thing for us that is the most scary thing it's just like the kivito who goes out alone for us that's like a, a scary scary story to to not be useful so they have this destiny and we have to obey uh, how to work around them without breaking taboos. And we get these finger tattoos so we remember to do that. Otherwise, the result is famine, which is our biggest fear. We'd rather die than not have food. 
Well, in a yeah, in a in a in a landscape that is so harsh and so unforgiving and so susceptible to the sun and the moon and the sea and you know the 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 presence or absence of food, it, all of this is just so you know it makes so much sense and it's 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 really kind of comprehensible. And and for, just for the listeners who maybe not know the Arctic environment. You know, the, the sun and the moon, the light and the darkness, we have the polar, we in the polar region. So we have sunlight 24 hours a day during summer, and we have the polar winters where the sun doesn't go above the horizon. So for us, it's either light or dark. It's very, very polarized, you know. L- literally polarized. Literally yeah. polarized. So could you, <laughs> um, I'm conscious of time, but I, I could you talk a bit about the techniques here, because again, that's something which I think sort of differentiates um, Arctic tattooing from from other traditions. It's quite misunderstood, and I know that we talked about this a bit with Aaron, but he said obviously we should talk to you in more detail. You've also done some work with existing artifacts on trying to recover some some lost techniques here. So, yeah, how 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 were those ancient techniques, and I guess also how are you adapting those for for twenty first century um, circumstances? Yeah. We have we have the most the most famous one is what people like to call skin stitching, which is the where we use like an eye needle and a thread. And uh, after some research and, and, and years of looking into to to this matter, and when I started working with Ben and with Aaron, uh, and they are like the tool guys, yeah. you know. They're they're literally the tool guys. Yes, they are. And and I was like made aware how important that was. And and, uh, I started like listening a little bit more and and I was so into the immaterial culture. So the material culture was not really, it was there, but I was not paying so much attention. But when I started, I started finding out that all the descriptions that are made are exactly the mirror of what is going on. And the only reason why that I could find this out is because I'm a tattooer. I would read this and I would be like, that doesn't fly. You can't do this. It's not possible. I would try. <laughs> you know? So I have a leg full of little lines. I tried all kinds of things. You know? so, so what I found out uh, is that skin stitching is a very bad uh, way of calling it because first of all nothing is stitched and and second of all it's only one way of doing this the inuit are are very unique in the sense that they have like uh more tools for the same uh method but they also have more methods you know it's like it goes both ways that that you, you can use the same tool for two different things and you can make the same thing with with multiple tools, you know. So so we have very uniquely more ways of tattooing and and not a lot. I, I haven't found other people who have that, you know. So so the I I kinda if I speak Aaron, I would say I I coined the term <laughs> subdermal because it really is subdermal tattooing. It's and and also it is horizontal tattooing rather than vertical tattooing. So that's very technical for those who don't tattoo. But basically, we create a tunnel either with the sewing needle 
or with an awl. And if it is the awl, we need like a secondary tool, which can be a stick or it can be like hardened sinew or a whale splinter, uh, grass, what have you, that you dip in the in the in the carbon mixture you're making, the soot stuff you make, and then you insert that into that little tunnel that you made. It's quite um, it's quite wild, you know, to tattoo this way. And it has been described in different ways by people who are not tattooers. And, and also they have mixed up what is skin stitching versus what is what they would call puncture tattooing which it isn't. We would do puncture tattooing as well, which is like what people call hand poking, but actually with the sewing needle <laughs> and not with the awl. So it's like... Well, that, the ho horizontal tattooing, I think, is the best description and most succinct way of, I've heard of describing that, actually. And it, it seems to be only in the Americas, and uh, but with emphasis on the Arctic. And you, you, you were sort of reconstructing that from written descriptions and from practicing on yourself and from looking at some um, artifacts in museums in in places like Greenland yeah exactly yeah and then implementing my knowledge as a tattooer like how will the skin react what will this tool like the awls just looking at them if I would hand poke with those I would go all the way into the muscle because they're, they're so sharp that the dots are so tiny if you're trying to hand poke, it just doesn't work. But they work wonders to do the, the, the horizontal tattooing. And I do it sometimes. I don't work with the all on people. It just scares them. It, it, it freaks them out. But I do, uh, I do the, the eye needle and, and, and the thread. I do it mainly with metal needles because nowadays we have all these hygiene, hygiene things we have to think about but i on myself i can do it uh, i have done it also with with bone needles and with sinew thread and and it, it works amazing but it also made me understand things like it always says that the needles were kept in blubber and i was like that's kind of gross but so i'm gonna do that but when I had a dried bone needle and I tried to pull it through, I understood why. Oh, fascinating. It just sucks all the moisture that it can, and it kind of got stuck in there, you know. So <laughs> It was fun, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> that's my idea of fun. That's the uh, that's the uh, 200 uh, Patreon subscriber goal. At 100, I get a tattoo, and then at 200, Matt gets a dried bone needle tattoo. Dried bone needle thrust to me. <laughs> Well, I guess I you know my last my last question to you then is like you know how are you how are you soaking this this knowledge now like and, and also are you training people up like are there people coming to you now young um, women from Inuit communities who are seeking this kind of tattooing like what's what's the kind of been all the the outcome of all the work you've been doing and, and what what happens next I guess is my question. Yeah, I'm not doing apprentices anymore, no. Matt. No. <laughs> I do I do have young people that I help understanding the religion. So the immaterial part, I work with young people with that. 
um, but the tattooing techniques and such, I just kept to myself. So what, not willingly, I really am trying to, to share and, and, you know, but having an apprentice uh, proved not to be so easy uh, in today's climate where everybody has, like my mom says, I can, and, and you know, <laughs> apprenticing doesn't fly. Then. Uh, yeah, I, Anyways, I, I hear this from friends who are not even just tattooers, but like tailors and chefs and all kinds of things so i think it's a it's not it's not just yeah. a tattoo problem that no it's it's terrible but yeah there, there's the school thing huh matt yeah and, uh, i'm excited yeah. about this and uh and so i'm disseminating basically i do a lot of talks and i i just finished a chapter for the oxford handbook on body modification uh, and you're, I, and you're, starting, a, you're starting a, a, a postgraduate degree in Indigenous Studies in Canada. Is that that's right? That's the plan, yes. And I have actually some thoughts around that that I would like to discuss <laughs> with you. Yeah. But maybe not in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the idea, and 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 hopefully ending up with a PhD and. But what I'm also doing is I work with the mummy group, the research group from Nunet uh, It's like the National Museum of Greenland. I, I'm part of the mummy research group. And Aaron and I, uh, Aaron helps me out a bit with the technical parts of using B-Stretch. We're finding out ways where we can actually research mummies without disturbing their peace and, and not taking them out of the graves and stuff. And there's a, a little bit, uh, the time is of essence, you know, things are thawing, uh, water is getting in everywhere and it's not good for their, for the state of them. Uh, but very, very exciting stuff with the mummies of Greenland uh, that, that I not currently can just talk freely about yet. But stuff is coming, and other than that, I write articles with Aaron, and uh, we just did the Exarch article just came out on experimental archaeology and tools, which is massively fun. And then Ben and I, we have a lot of ideas around, you know, um, yeah, some we want to make a little association, Dr. Matt Lauder, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ben, ben for the listeners is uh, Benoit Robitaille, who's a Canadian uh, archaeologist, uh, historian, just incredible uh, vegetable farmer, you know, just generally excellent, one of the smartest people that I have ever had the pleasure to meet. I owe him an email, actually. Um, he emailed me yesterday and I need to reply to it. Um, but it's, you know, I think... It, it's just amazing and humbling, Maya, just to, to to see the work that you've done because I, in ways that I understand in some ways and in ways which I can never understand, I know how complicated and difficult what you do technically, uh, you know, politically, um, emotionally, like all of the kind of, you know, physically um, is hard what you do. And, and like, thank you for doing it because... Yeah, it, like it needed it needed to to be done. Um, yeah, like that's 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 my that's my feeling. And I guess like I don't know. I I, I, are, you, are you are you do you find are you getting positive reactions from on your work from sort of broader indigenous rights movements? And is is there is there a support network there beyond the tattooing in in terms of um, 
you know, all of the kind of academic and political things that are happening with indigenous communities, uh, not just in the Arctic, but around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm constantly invited to to all kinds of platforms. Uh, I was just in Cape Cod Times in, in the US. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, where there was this indigenous woman who was writing a piece on, on you know, all kinds of things. And uh, I also have a lot of contact with indigenous people in academia who are writing their their papers. And, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm helping out a lot of Greenlandic uh, university students as well. Uh, I, I think by now I have done... More masters than 100, anyone. Hundred percent. I, you know, I, like, yeah. As you know, I, I think as someone who didn't even finish high school, Maya, like, you already deserve a doctorate. As in my opinion, I've told you that before. So, yeah. I mean, but, but it's also, it's also, it's also, I think, a really interesting illustration of why tattoo history is interesting and important, not just for for people who are interested in tattoos, right? Because like, as, as Tom always says for this podcast, like we tattooing the history of tattooing is the history of everything. And like, there's so much, I think that can be taught and can be reconsidered about colonialism, about religion, about metaphysics, about environment, about, you know, geography, about migration. If you, if you think about tattooing in a careful way, you know, in a way that takes it seriously. And I think that's the point as well. Like we're all here fascinated in tattooing, but like actually the stories that, that tattooing tells us are, are bigger than tattoos, right? Absolutely. And I mean, like just see how it has brought out the, the history, the her story of, of Inuit people where the, the woman was just this little cute thing. And, and now she's actually holding a responsibility that is, is massive. You know, that was disregarded before we started looking at the tattoos. So there's there's so much important history in tattoo history. Uh, absolutely. And I think some of us will do tattoo history till we die. And and also, just if I may uh, finish off with this, you know, uh, I feel like the further I go back in time, the more global we become, the more we move out of the colonial isolation. Suddenly I have people around me from South America and we share partly religion and tattoos. So so suddenly we become part of something much bigger and, and worldwide, which is amazing. Yeah, well when um yeah, like when uh English writers at least first saw Inuit people with their tattoos, they said they they look like Tartars. They look like Central Asian people, right? Like and it's exactly that 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 actually um there's something interestingly and importantly connective about tattooing in a way that doesn't often get taken seriously um so maya where can people find you online where can they find your work how can they support your work yeah there's like thousands of articles about me out there so just <laughs> google me <laughs> and uh, um i've been on the cover of new york times you guys yeah <laughs> no but also i have my instagram uh, I have one on my name, but it's mainly just selfies, not that interesting. But I also have one that is uh, Inuit Tattoo Traditions, and it's fairly new. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I don't post 
every day, but I try to do it at least maybe three times a week or something. And where I talk about, you know, the tattoos that I make and, and then I pull in like uh, history, religion, uh, but also the, the contemporary context, uh, context to, to these tattoos and, you know, and then I just, uh, people can write me there if they like. I, I take my sweet time to reply. I must admit, and and some people will not get a reply if it is if it, if I'm thinking Google it. You know if it, you know. Well, I, I I would say you know it it must be a very common thing about uh, getting historians to reply to your messages. Uh, I'm not going to say anything more on that. If you <laughs> enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed the show and you want to hear more, we have a Patreon where. For as little as five quid a month, you get bonus episodes and you get lots of fun stuff. You can also, if we reach 100 subscribers, you can pick what tattoo I'm going to get. If you want to find the show online, you can find us on all streaming platforms. I assume if you're listening to this, you've found us somehow. You can find us on Twitter at Beneath Skin Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Got It at Guineas. That's G-U-Y-N-E-Y-S. And you can find Matt. Matt, where can people find you? Uh, at Matt Lodder, um, in all your uh, favorite social media platforms, um, and yeah, Semaphore, uh, Smoke Signal, and Screaming Loudly from um, the other side of the valley. And don't forget to pre-order Matt's book, Painted People, out on the 28th of October? Yeah, around about then, including two chapters which I couldn't have written without Maya helping me make sense of it, about um, two Inuit tattoo stories spanning... Um, two and 250 years um so yeah uh thank you to maya for, for letting me put those stories into print and I'm, I'm so excited about well the exarch article that you wrote maya and and um and and all of your forthcoming work i'm just very excited to to learn more from you thank you maya for coming on the show and i guess that i'll just maybe thomas's tattoo could be you know subdual <laughs> <laughs> i mean why not why not <laughs>